Welcome to Back from the Abyss, where we bring you stories of hope and healing, recovery and redemption. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock, your host and resident psychiatrist. Before we start today's mini episode on marijuana, I'd like to say a couple things about the Ketamine 7 Questions episode. My wife just recently listened to it and she pointed out that there should have been eight questions. She said you left out a very important question. And so I'm going to address this missing question eight right now. And that question is, how often do you need to do ketamine? I think we could break down ketamine responders into three groups. Number one, there are people who respond positively to two or three or four ketamine treatments and don't need it again. There's a second group of people who are usually in the bipolar spectrum, bipolar disorder, who do well with two, three, four treatments, say, in the fall-winter transition or in the spring, but the rest of the year don't need ketamine. And finally, there's a group of people with chronic, severe treatment-resistant depression who seem to do best doing ketamine, say, every four or five weeks, medium to high-dose IV or IM. So there you go, Elizabeth. There's your question eight, and I hope that was helpful for everyone else. So today's mini-episode is Medical Marijuana, a Psychiatric Perspective. Imagine a new type of liquor store, one with two front entrances. Medical vodka says one door. Recreational vodka declares the other. If you have a medical vodka card, say for chronic pain, anxiety, or PTSD, you can enter the first door and there find specially priced vodka to treat your illness. No card and you have to buy the much more heavily taxed recreational vodka behind door number two. As strange as this might sound, a very similar scenario is now playing out in Colorado, where I practice. But instead of vodka, a drug which can treat anxiety and PTSD, as well as emotional or physical pain, at least initially, we have the two doorways for marijuana, another drug which can treat anxiety and PTSD, along with emotional or physical pain. Perhaps marijuana is different, safer, truly a medicine in a way which vodka is not. Now, clearly there are people who benefit from marijuana or weed, getting relief from pain or nausea or other physical or emotional distress. But in the mental health field, we are seeing a whole host of psychiatric problems either triggered or exacerbated by marijuana. First, a primer on weed. There seem to be at least two key compounds in marijuana. THC, the psychoactive part, the molecule that gets you high, and CBD, or cannabidiol. You might think of THC as the accelerator and CBD as the brakes. Way back in the 80s, when I was in high school, weed was pretty impotent, maybe 4-6% to THC by weight, if you were lucky, with high levels of CBD. Today, the sativas, which are marijuana strains high in THC, might have 25 to 35% or more THC by weight, as well as relatively low levels of CBD. Or if you want, you can just skip the CBD altogether. Colorado dispensaries offer pure THC products. What this means is that the potent marijuana strains today are at least 5 to 10 times as powerful as they were, but without the molecular breaks of CBD. As a neuropsychiatric break, CBD calms the nervous system with anti-anxiety, mood-stabilizing, and even antipsychotic properties. 
THC, on the other hand, activates the nervous system in poorly understood ways and can trigger severe anxiety and panic, as well as manic and psychotic symptoms. I often see patients who got anxiety relief from marijuana for months or even years, most commonly with lower THC strains, often referred to as indicas. However, as THC builds up in their body fat and or they use more THC to try to overcome the inevitable tolerance, they reach some threshold blood level of THC, which then triggers persistent panic. More worrisome, we're regularly seeing people have psychotic breaks from these more potent and THC-laden strains of weed. These include both people with pre-existing psychiatric illness as well as people with no mental health history whatsoever. In general, I think of alcohol as a much more dangerous drug than marijuana, but in my patients with panic attacks, PTSD, bipolar disorder, or psychosis, THC can actually be much more destabilizing than alcohol. When I discuss panic, mania, and psychosis prevention with patients, I urge them to avoid the three most risky and destabilizing drugs, methamphetamine, cocaine, and weed. This often strikes them as a strange and unlikely combination. But THC, particularly when not used with adequate CBD counterbalance, can overwhelm even the most potent anti-manic and anti-psychotic drugs. Every month, I see multiple patients with bipolar or schizoaffective disorder who destabilize into mania and or psychosis due to marijuana use. Yet trying to convince them that weed is causing this is a hard sell. I myself didn't believe it for years, as I was viewing marijuana through the relatively benign lens of a child of the 80s. But over the last few years, it has become abundantly clear that marijuana has changed. Why don't my patients believe that weed was the trigger for their assault with a deadly weapon charge, or the 100-mile-an-hour drive down I-25, or the mumbling psychotic voices telling them that they should just go ahead and die? I think that this is due in part to the language of quote-unquote medical marijuana in Colorado. Here, marijuana is widely thought of as medicine, and words are powerful. None of my patients think of meth or cocaine as medicine, yet many hold on to a belief that weed can treat or at least ameliorate their emotional pain and anxiety. And again, I know there are people who get mental and emotional relief from marijuana, but I also know that many people get mental and emotional relief from a gin and tonic or a bottle of wine. This doesn't make alcohol a medicine. It makes alcohol a coping strategy, a source of temporary relief. If marijuana gives you some measure of temporary relief from the stressors of life or from your busy monkey mind, that's great. Meditation or swimming would probably be healthier, but weed is far better than cutting yourself or binge drinking or downing hydrocodone. But if you or someone you love is being pulled down into the dark depths of psychiatric illness, even intermittent use of marijuana could be making things much worse. A final note, is weed addictive? 10 to 15 years ago, I would have said no, not really, maybe psychologically. Today, the answer is a resounding yes. Habitual use of THC leads to tolerance as well as a physiological withdrawal syndrome with irritability, insomnia, loss of appetite, and severe nausea. The severity of the withdrawal syndrome typically correlates with the amount of THC consumed daily. If weed is your coping strategy, then it's clear that low THC, high CBD strains are much safer and minimize the risks of physiological dependence, while also decreasing the risk of developing panic or triggering other psychiatric symptoms. I hope this was helpful. Adios amigos. If you like this episode, 
please share it with anyone else who might find hope or meaning in this story. Check out our website, bftapodcast.com, where you can learn more about us and this project, get more information on the treatments mentioned in the stories, as well as additional resources and music credits. You can also email us with comments or story requests. If you have time, please rate us on iTunes as this helps us spread these stories far and wide. Much gratitude to my good friend Chris Johnson, who does our sound. And thank you for listening to Back from the Abyss. May each of you find the strength and support to find your way through the darkness. (laughs) 